leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Got to add us back in. <laughs> hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity. It is CISO Thursdays, and I am completely off today. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. And I'm here with two amazing people. First, my co host, Chris Follon. Howdy, everyone. Co host, security consultant. And my pleasure to introduce Nick Vigier today, our CISO guest. Nick? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nick Vigier, uh, CISO for IDME. Thanks, Nick, for being here with us. So before we get started, two things. One, please subscribe. So hit our subscribe button. We have already hit over a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Woohoo! Try to get to what, 1,500, 2,000? A thousand. Go big. Go big. Okay. Another thousand. So we need another thousand subscribers. So folks, please, please, please hit the subscribe button. And then for your podcast, if you're listening only, um, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform as well. So hot topic for today. Chris, you want to start it off? Sure. We've been in this COVID thing, what? 18 months, almost 19 months, ready to hit the two-year mark soon. Um, how are we attracting and managing high-performance talent, uh, Nick? Uh, and I want to add like a couple of things that are, that's been happening. Uh, the great reshuffle or the great resignation that has shown that there's been some pent-up demand and talent that they didn't feel like they're being satisfied in their work environments. And now you're moving around. So what do you do or what would you recommend um, around that area? I, so there are a lot of different um, methodologies, approaches, things like that. Obviously, like how you collaborate or how you communicate. Um, you know, so we've, we've got that world of Slack and email and everything else that, that folks are using or Teams and, and whatnot. 
Um, I think the key here is that what's getting lost in a lot of the, the remote work is the person, right? We've done a lot. We actually do a lot of um, relationship building in our day-to-day when we're in person. There's a lot of stuff that happens that has nothing to do with work where you kind of learn about a person's tendencies or, you know, what their thoughts are. You kind of get to see what they're wearing that day and what sport team they like, like the Rangers. Um, but it's uh, a lot of times with remote work, you don't get to do that. The one thing we have been able to do is meet each other's families, which I think is actually really, you know, an interesting way of, of bonding and, and growing relationships. Um, I actually just finished an, an all hands with my team where uh, we're actually using uh, Clifton Strengths as a way to kind of do a better job of understanding each other and finding ways of growing. Um, I think what keeps people at jobs is their, uh, their personal growth trajectory. Um, I think we do a lot where, uh, we focus on hard skills, but we don't necessarily talk about the what makes you a better person and how do we help you grow and how do we have the bigger uh, career jungle gym conversation as opposed to just here's how you get promoted in the existing track that you're already in. Um, so I think a lot of it, you know, from a remote team's perspective, thematically, it's about making sure that people feel connected and that they feel seen and that they feel heard. Um, and we lose a lot of that by being remote. Um, and this doesn't work for everybody, honestly. Um, so really trying to find ways of drawing people out of their shells and being able to identify that someone might be in a shell to begin with, um, becomes really important. So I think a lot of those like subliminal human signals, right. Becomes the, how do you draw that out? So you can manage people remotely better and build great remote teams. I know Renee is a a big fan of the Clifton strengths. Um, what are some of the ways that you're using information identified to, to help um, a bond with the individual and or uh, create their career trajectory? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's really about trying to understand like what uh, what drives people, right? What is it that you love doing? I think I have like an 80-20 rule around you spend you should spend 80% of the time doing things you love doing. 20% of the time, there's just stuff you have to do. We're adults. Right. Like <laughs> most of us are adults. Um, but there's stuff that you just have to do. It's when you start that starts getting out of whack that you stop loving what you do, you stop uh, you start dreading going to work and and whatnot. And then you start your ear starts like, you know, kind of listening to those recruiters that are calling <laughs> and, and then causing people to leave your teams. Um, and so it's it. You know, when you start kind of feeding that Maslow's hierarchy of needs is when you start, you know, kind of um, dealing with uh, the things that drive people to want to grow. So for me, I think the fundamental thing is really understanding, even if it's not the job that you're currently in, is what is it that gets you jumping out of bed in the morning? You know, what are the things you loathe doing? Right. These are all to me like really important things to be like self-aware of um, and be able to uh, to be able to then say, where do you where do you fit? How do I make sure that you're in the right role for this? I think that's fantastic. I mean, I think you're the first person that has come on here to t- that has talked about the Clifton Strengths Strengths Finder as a whole, um, except me. <laughs> <laughs> that come that have that has uh, come on and talk about using it for your team because I think it's just so eye opening, especially. I mean, it's eye opening one for an individual. Um, and, and it may not be fully eye-opening. It's probably like, yeah, I kind of knew this about myself. But what, how it was very, very powerful for me when I did it in a team 
is seeing my other team members and why they work the way they did. And so some of the frustrations that I would have for, with, you know, other people, I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. Like this person's t- number one strength is, I don't know, check either. I don't want to say check the box, but they they were very, um, you know, compliant, for example. Yep. And as a recruiter, I'm pushing and shutting up. Like, I'm like, I want to get this person in the door. <laughs> what do we need to do to make it happen? And they're like, wait, 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 pump the brakes. You know, like you can't do that. I'm like, why not? This is great talent. So we're going back and forth. And it made perfect. I was like, oh, this is why. Like they, you know, it's not that they think that I everything that I'm doing is quote bad or pushy or wrong or whatever. It's that their number one strength was being compliant, following the rules, you know, doing everything in the right way. So that's why I think that Strengths Finder um, is just so important for teams. And then um, what's funny is I literally just did the the kids one for my son. Oh, they have a kids one? I got to do that. It I did the kid. wife one. I, I gave that one to my wife. So. <laughs> <I did. laughs> there's, a, there's a kids one for 10-year-olds and up. And I um, I just gave that one to him. And it was it was pretty funny. Um, and the strength of the, the kids one, they have three strengths. It's just not five. And it, it made sense to me. I was like, oh, yeah, this is this, this is you. Um, so it is it's pretty cool. It's pretty co- cool to do it as um, and then they have a parent component to the kids like the kids do their piece and they read about it and then the parent can read about it, too. So it's very cool. I just I absolutely love Clifton Strengths Finder. And with that, we're going to reintroduce our favorite co-host here. <laughs> Big Daddy James Azar. What is up? Congratulations on the, the new addition to your family. Thank you. Thank you. I apologize for the delay, but, you know, the new addition requires extra special attention. That's right. Have the baby do Clifton Strengths. <laughs> I, 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 not yet. Um, I will. Uh, right now, I'm just hoping to get some eye contact. Uh, for, for, uh... <laughs> <laughs> only The only person important right now is mommy. <laughs> indeed indeed mommy is the most important person absolutely so steven is tuning in from sunny san diego hey steven thank you so much for being here again and sterling said ditto and i think that came through when um nick was talking about folks wanting to in their careers and in their jobs and why they're why they're looking to leave and it's focused on like career growth and personal growth and what people um, are trying to do next in their career. So that makes it, it totally aligns to one of my, my, my number one question when I ask, um, when I start recruiting someone is, you know, what's most important to you in your career? That's the, the, the question to me is that is like the number one question. And so nine times out of 10, I'm getting career growth. I'm getting culture. I'm getting things like that. But more often than not, people are leaving because they feel stagnant. They, um, to next point, 80% of the work that they were promised that they were doing, they're not doing, um, or it's changed or evolved or they're bored. Um, it's a lot of things outside of, a lot, a lot of people tend to think it's money. That is not usually the number one factor. It's down the chain, but it's not the number one factor for sure. Definitely that growth opportunity is huge, so... It's good to hear it from you, Nick. Oh, Nick, we, we talked about like growing the individual in the role. How do we have that same connection 
with the lines of business to understand their evolving security risk in this time of going remote? Like, does that change their risk struct, um, posture? Does that change how you're approaching business? Does that change what you as a security leader can do to help them um, remain secure as well as empower the business to, to move forward? I mean, I think there there are a few sides to this, right? There's obviously there's the the tactical side, which is you know just making sure that you're involved, right? That you've got your engineering teams are talking to the you know uh, infrastructure engineering teams. You've got the product people talking to the appsec people, and vice versa. And you try to you have to make sure that that those processes exist in order to to ensure that that collaboration is happening. I think the other side, I think we're really I, I'm blessed because. We have uh, the business cares a lot about security. Um, there are a lot of you know CISOs and security organizations out there where security is really just kind of like we're paying lip service to it, and uh, we're doing it because we have to. We're doing it because it's a regulatory requirement that we have to do it. Um, I'll say that at IDME, we actually you know this is core um, privacy and security are core tenets of what we do. Uh, so for for me, I actually just yesterday had our security and risk committee meeting with board members on it, like. We do that quarterly. We have our board meetings quarterly. Like there's there's a lot of communication that happens around risk, around um, those things happening, and how the landscape is changing, um, and making sure that everyone's on the same page um, and that we're able to to share that information in a common language. Um, it becomes the other key that there are no surprises. We already know what this means, and now we're just kind of getting an update on it and understanding it and and tracking how we're doing against those things. Um, so I mean I think it's I think the the days of remote work have also made things like metrics that much more important have made that continuous view of things more important um, so that you can communicate trends. Whereas before, again, you just kind of like would walk by a room and get pulled into a meeting and suddenly find out all kinds of things, and then you would have to go and talk to a whole bunch of other people to like triangulate and chase that to ground and what have you. And that just doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. Um, not unless you've got that special calendar uh, feature that lets you then go and like hop into everybody else's meetings all the time. But for the most part, you're just not going to know um, about what's going on. And so having a little bit more of that um, understanding directionality of things like risk and, and, and the project and program management and everything else that needs to happen so that you have those hooks um, and being able to also find the right cadence for interactions um, becomes really key without being stuck in meetings all day. Absolutely. James, you're quiet today. I'm listening, man. <laughs> Gathering data before commenting. Well, that's the number one thing you should do in security is always do active listening. If more people did active listening, you'd have less chicken head comments. Very true. Very, very true. Well, I, I guess the, the other side of it, you know, from a, like, I, I talked a little bit about it from the recruiting perspective, but um, what are you seeing as kind of being the biggest gaps that people are experiencing or like are people's careers stagnating in general as they're looking for, for new jobs or is it, or as you're, you're searching for candidates? Um, like, how is that, do you feel like the momentum slowed down, uh, versus when people were, you know, going to the office for the most part? You mean with recruiting? With like, yeah, with the, like the, the talent being and the, and the, yeah, know, being asked no. It's it's actually I think there was a lull at a point in time last year because everything was uncertain. So the folks, the the great resignation, I think, is a combination of a couple of different things. It's the folks that wanted to resign back in 2019 
or 2020 that said, eh, maybe let me hold off on resigning because I don't know what's going to happen in my company. So you have those folks. And then you have folks that, um, you know, have gotten frustrated in their company, in their current situation. So the burnout, you know, when you look across, because I've been paying attention to this across industries um, and you look across industries and you see like, you know, people like medical staff leaving in droves, things like that, like the burnout is just too much. And the level of in, in those industries, sometimes the level of the level of death, all the stuff that's happening, it's just too emotionally draining. So you have folks that are kind of like leaving in that respect. And then um, the folks who would typically be turning over. So, you know, you have your regular turnover, especially in security. That was like, you know, it's kind of a revolving door anyway. <laughs> and then you have some of this other stuff that people kind of put themselves on pause last year. And it's all coming together now. So I think it's a convergence of multiple things. And then obviously folks that don't want to go back into the office that are still have apprehensions, um, you have that going on that if companies are saying, okay, now we're going back and they're like, well, I don't want to go back. I'm, you know, I like this remote situation or, well, I'm not really seeing too much of, hey, I'm remote. Like I, the company wants to stay remote and I want to go into an office. So I'm looking for an office to go into. I'm not seeing any of that hmm. personally. Um, I also am seeing folks that are, are looking to leave due to vaccine mandates. So it's just like, hey, I don't want to, you know, either one way, you know, I don't want to, um, companies saying I have to get a vaccine. I don't want to get it. So I'm looking elsewhere. So there's a couple of different, I think, things that are happening, um, that are converging all at once to make it this big swirl of people looking or people leaving. I mean, the good thing I think is that, um, you know, they're leaving somewhere, so they got to land somewhere. They're not just leaving the workplace as a whole. That's always good. So the movement, it's actually, it's, it's actually pretty active. It's pretty robust from what I'm seeing right now, especially the folks under the CISO level. That's what I'm seeing a lot of, you know, movement there. And people seem to be pretty comfortable, pretty consistent, like, hey, this isn't going to, things aren't going to change as I think last year there was so much apprehension around like potentially what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think people have settled into the fact like, okay, COVID's here to stay, you know, we're just going to have to live with it and deal with it. And so they're more comfortable with making moves. Did you expect it to be any different though? I mean, when you look at like the map, the, the big resignation, I think we saw version one. Now we're going to see version two. Mm -hmm. Because I thought you hit vaccine mandates. I also see like companies that are requiring people to go back into the office um, or, you know, kind of like saying, all right, you're going to have to be in the office two, three days a week now and you're going to have to be vaccinated. That's going to lead to a whole new uh, drop of people who are going to be looking for new work. And there's going to be a special set of companies that are just going to look at this and go, I can probably go out and get really good talent right now. For pretty cheap if I give them the stuff I want to give them, right? Meaning I can underpay based on market rate a little bit, right? I'm not saying take advantage of the situation, but you could probably go in and, and pay someone 10% less than what they were making before um, and still get them if you don't have the vaccine mandates, if you still give them the flexibility to work from home. Um, oh, yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I think this is where this is going to be the difference between, uh, I think this is going to be like a boom for startups, 
right? Because I think startups are the one companies are going to look at this and be like, we're not doing any vaccine mandates. We're not going to do any of this stuff. And you're going to have people who are going to leave big enterprise companies that are really, really smart that are going to go into that startup space. And they're, you're going to see some massive disruption over the next two to three years of talent uh, where talent leaves big enterprise and moves to a more, um, more startup, more kind of like small to mid-sized companies um, that are going to give them the, the work-life balance they're looking for because that's the one thing we got out of COVID is that work-life balance, right? I can, you know, leave my bed, leave where I am right now, which is, you know, my basement and go upstairs and take a two-hour break if I wanted to and go back and log in. And I think we're starting to see people kind of, you know, get into this whole mentality of, well, now everyone's in a nine to five and we want to see you logged in from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And if you do something between those hours, well, then we're going to have a conversation because we're boxed and we're enterprise and we got to have dumb policies that's going to drive away good people. Yeah, I think, um, James, I agree with you. I think that we are going to see I think there's going to be a huge opportunity for certain groups. Um, and, and certain companies. Like, I think, was it Delta that said that they were not doing mandates in particular? Delta said that they're not going to enforce vaccine mandates. Southwest, re, you know, kind of went back on theirs. And, and after, you know, they had to cancel. They lost m- tens of millions of dollars yeah. over that. United is spending millions of dollars uh, in court. And their vaccine mandate got uh, the judge said that they can't enforce it and it got another extension and it's going to continue to go to hearings. So they're spending a ton of money on legal counsel to kind of get this stuff done. The firefighters in New York are on strike they're, they're, This morning they were protesting in front of the governor's mansion in Albany. I mean, this stuff is kind of all of the truckers like. You know, the vaccine mandate for truckers is yet the dumbest thing I've seen companies do. Like, these guys drive along in a road. Like, they are not around people at all. Like, they're around people when they stop at a truck stop to put fuel, take a shower, get some food, and then they keep going. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting, it's, especially with some of the, the government contract um, spaces, you know. Right. Folks, that, that's where I'm really seeing it. And I do believe that there is going to be um, a group of folks that are going to move on from these positions and then end up in some really, and I do think startups and other places that don't have the mandate will um, end up getting some really great talent. So it'll, it'll be very, for very cheap. good. For cheap, you're going to be able to get good yeah. talent. They will be. Because really? people are like, I'm already getting, I'm getting those LinkedIn you know, requests and stuff like, hey, this is what's happening. You know, do you have any companies that, um, and I'm, you know, obviously I'm not doing it. So do you have any companies that, are you working with any companies that are not mandating? And so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like how that all plays out. And I do think it's for cheap. And what I, I think I, I think I read something that when Delta took down the mandate, more people got the vaccine. Like <laughs> It was something to the effect that people don't want to be mandated. They they will do it. They want to be mandated. So a um, couple of good comments here. Steve is saying, it feels like an employee's market. There's so many open IT security positions. I see a lot of organizations willing to overcompensate to source talent. It is definitely an employee's market. I don't think that um, they will pay the talent that they want. 
um, they will definitely put a premium on paying. I've had actually just a conversation this week where I said, this person is looking for 30,000 more. And they were like, let's have a conversation, (laughs) you know? So those things are happening in the space, but it's not what, what, um, what I think some of the challenges could be, you know, the breaking into cyber folks, they'll have to break in. Like they, they're not going to pay a ton more for brand newbies. But for folks that have the experience, it's totally an employee's market right now. Employees are able to come in and I won't say demand, but kind of say like, hey, this is what the market is wearing. This is what I'm look. This is what I'm looking for. And, you know, they have options. And I, you know, I think it's fantastic because for a long, long time, I had been hearing for years and years about remote work, about flexibility, about, you know, all these different things about the growth opportunities. And it was getting kind of pushed to the corner and shoved to the corner and things like that. And now um, the tables have turned. So, Well, we're we're living in a little bit different, a little bit different because Nick kind of brought it up earlier, right, when we were talking about. Um, what role in security you want to do and, and kind of like trying to find that, that role. Um, if you take what Nick just talked about and you kind of, we put vaccine mandates a second on the side and we really talk about kind of where do you find yourself within security and where do you start to kind of look at the companies you want to work for? In a lot of cases, going to a startup, you're going to get a lot more experience than being in an enterprise business, which is going to very box you in. Right. Um, and, and, and some of these small mid-sized companies now are investing a lot more in security. Um, they're just starting to understand the need for having a robust security team um, in-house so that you can really win that big business and scale. Um, I was speaking to someone yesterday and there were, there were a small company, about 100 people up until the pandemic. And the pandemic uh, had them grow to 500 people. Hmm in 20 months. And that, that to me is just insane, but they grew their security team by 700%. That's pretty awesome. Right. Folks, I got to jump. It was nice chatting with you. Nick, thank you for coming on today. Um, I'm sure you'll have a great conversation with our amazing hosts. (laughs) See you, Chris. Nick, don't let this conversation scare you. No, definitely not. I mean, listen, IDMEs, like security organizations, has grown tremendously, right? But right. Our, our business has changed tremendously over the course of the last, you know, during the course of COVID. Companies grown, uh, you know, tremendously. Like, I think we've like 200x type of like employee growth, which is insane. But at the same time, you know, about 75% of our employee base is doing what, we, what I would call kind of like call center and onboarding type of work. Um, and so, the thing for me now, the thing that becomes really interesting in terms of like breaking into security is that's a whole talent pool that I've got for free. Well, not free, but like that I have available that we can tap into and find ways to engage with and find those potentials that um, I think a lot of other organizations don't have the opportunity to, to engage in. Um, so that's an area that uh, I'm looking forward to, to looking for that new talent um, and, uh, and especially for folks that they've taken kind of a more, you know, call center hourly rate role because they might not be able to find another role somewhere else or something that they want, or maybe they don't even know that they want that. Um, so we can do things like career fairs and things like that to help people understand this is what we do. Uh, cause usually people that aren't in the business are like, 
oh yeah you guys are like the hackers right yeah i get to like hack things and i mean that's how i got into security so i'm gonna <laughs> assume that that happens a lot um but um trying to dispel a little bit of the this is the variety of things that we do because we have security engineering security operations investigations we've got appsec we've got grc and privacy and we've got physical security like there's a lot of different avenues here to explore and there's something for everyone so um i think having those opportunities becomes uh becomes really important and organizations are able to find ways of providing that movement i think becomes really important too now nick do you do you all do internal career fairs were you, were you talking about uh, career fairs internally or externally or both so that's uh we don't currently Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're talking about Clifton Strengths. I have ideation at number two, so I've actually encouraged my teams to call me out when my ideas are distracting them. But that's an idea, right? <laughs> Saying, "Hey, what if we try to tap into this talent? What if we tried to, you know, these people are already, you know, on payroll. They're already they've got NDAs. They've got equity. They got, you know, like right. if you finish your work, come spend some time over in security, and we can train you up and and skill you up. And uh, it doesn't have to be a full time role." See, I wish more people would do that, though, right? Yeah. And start off somewhere, reach across to security. But security's got to be responsive to that, right, Nick? And I think one of the bigger problems and, and challenges is I'll hear from people who are trying to break into securities. I always ask them, have you gone internal to see if there's anything you can shadow or work on or be a part of to help you gain a little foothold or some knowledge or some experience within security? And they go, well, no one gets back to me. And I think that's cultural, Nick. I think that's up to us as CISOs of whether or not we say, all right, folks, if someone reaches internally and wants to be part of security, you know, rope them in. Like, don't wait. Don't let the fish just sit in the water for too long with bait. Just bring it in right away and let's get, get them on the boat um, well, and grow them. I, I I love what you both are saying um, because I think it's so important to do internal mobility and internal development. And you get, I was a part of a group. That's what the CISO did. He brought a bunch of us in that didn't have security backgrounds, but had different types of experiences that he thought was valuable for various things. And so you had this super dynamic group that was so eager and excited and like, oh my God, someone, you know, brought us into this wacky world of security and it was a super high performing team was an amazing team everyone was learning you're learning things that were different you had people who were coming in like nick like you talk about call center types operations there was a lady who was an administrative assistant i had come in from hr i mean you had all there was a guy from audit there were all these various people that came in and again, he was able to get them for cheap. <laughs> I think we, we weren't being paid. I wasn't being paid, you know, security monitoring team lead money. I was being paid a little bump over what I was getting in recruiting. And so, um, and the other folks too. And so I would say, because Nick, my one of my top fives is ideation too. I don't know where in, I think it's, it's high. It, it might be, it may even be, I don't think it's one. It's either two or three. Um, but what I would say is to um, have an internal career fair or like what James was talking about, when those people, you know, reach out, you may want to have something quarterly where you're te- where it's almost like an internal, like a, um, I used to work at this company, they would call this thing discovery days and they would have the whole company. Well, when you were a new employee, you would come in and at once a quarter, they would have these, you would learn about the company. 
So maybe it's something like a show and tell, like a, you know, a day in security, something like that. And you do that twice a year and you invite everybody to come and check it out or have a week of um, internal recruiting and things like that. Um, that's one of the things that I set up in one organization, internal, an internal career fair. Like, hey, check out our jobs here. You're already here. Um, and I think it's fantastic that you're a bringing the, bringing that to the table and b you know being able realizing that there's so much talent right under your nose that you can just tap into. Um, and to your point, some of these folks, this is what I learned too after I had a number of people had, that had reached out to me that worked in one of the top um, retail companies in the world. So you know, pick one, and they were like stock people and cashiers and things like that. And these people were going to school and getting cyber degrees and trying to look for jobs outside of this company, you know, the company. And so it's like hidden talent. Like you would never know CISO all the way over here, you know, doesn't know cashier, you know, young lady Ashley is getting a cyber degree, you know, and looking for a job outside of your company when you could potentially tap into this eager talent already getting educated on your company's dime um, and, you know, could potentially bring this person into an entry-level role. So I think it's fantastic what you, what you both have been talking about and Nick, what you're thinking about doing. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's really about just trying to help people understand that they can't be afraid to jump in. But I think part of this also is the that remote culture, like part of the part of the way I got into the industry is I was a comm engineer at the New York Stock Exchange. And I was there's no room next to my team. And I was sitting next to the pen testing team. And I was like, I don't know what you guys do, but that looks kind of cool. I'm done with my work. Can I like volunteer some time with you? Right. And and that's how I got in. But like, that'd be really hard to do now with remote life. I'd have to try to go like hunt that hunt, try to find that person who, with whom I have no rapport. Um, and I think to James's point, hope that they're receptive right. um, versus building a rapport with someone and then being like, hey, do you want to like mentoring me on this and, and helping me learn? Um, so I think it, it cuts both ways um, in, in a lot of different instances. But I think that even more so now, we need to just be aware of how we reach out to people and make them know that it's OK to, to, to ask and to have a conversation. Um, but we have to be responsive. We have to be able to, uh, to to give them some feedback as to whether or not we can help them or whether or not there's a pathway or make a connection or what have you. Um, and I think, again, that comes back and like the Clifton Strength thing, I think is really interesting because you can use that as a, as a shortcut to try to figure out, all right, where do you have aptitudes that we could slot you in, um, you know, and start exposing you to some of the stuff that actually aligns instead of just wanting to be a red teamer. Um, so it's... Uh, I think there's a lot of different opportunities to get this done, but we have to, with everything remote, we have to be more intentional about our approach. Yeah, I agree. A couple comments coming in here. Um, let's see. Someone chimed in from Stormy, Florida. I don't know who that is. Um, Zoe is here, late to the party, but hi, happy CISO Thursday. Congrats on the baby, Mr. Azar. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know, James. Did you know that Zoe got a new job in IT? She's I did like, not. That's yeah. so exciting. I've missed the last few weeks, so uh, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Since you've been gone, she has been. She has started her IT job, and she's some. She's probably at work right now, listening to us, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, 
But yeah, Zoe has been sharing with us and Nick, um, you know, some of the folks that are here, they've shared with us that since they've been on listening to us, listening to the various CISOs, the various perspectives, that they were able to break in and get their first job. So it's awesome. Very cool. Very satisfying. I mean, getting a first job for someone like Zoe is monumental, Mm -hmm. right? She's been trying to break in for, I think, 18 or 19 months that I can remember. A long time. But the fact in, 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 in when we have such shortage of cybersecurity talent where everyone puts in the 3 million or 10 million or whatever million open jobs you want to do when you, you know, when, when you start going over duplicate data and people who post the same job for the same title, but they post it in uh, 15, because that's the new thing, by the way, that companies, I've seen companies do is they'll post an opening for a director of cyber and they'll post the same role for 15 different cities, but it's really one role, but they're targeting different cities in order to try to find talent that either exists in Portland, San Francisco, Atlanta, Denver, Phoenix, New York, Miami, Tampa, Chicago, uh, you know, and, and so forth. And so people will like look at that raw data and not consider that that's just one role. Mm-hmm. Right. And so let's say, look, these guys are hiring 15 directors of cyber. And you're like, that company that size doesn't need 15. It's probably looking for one. And <laughs> they probably are looking for specific geolocations for whatever reason. They're looking at big cities, big markets, because they think that's where the talent is. Yeah. Um, or and- it could be, yeah. And they've been doing that for a long time. That's why I always knew that those numbers were kind of skewed because like to me, that number is so skewed because if it takes someone like Zoe 18 or 19 months to find a role in security, and I know other people that have taken them nine, 10, almost a year to get an entry level. Um, one guy who was doing a mid career transition, so much experience, but mid career transition took him like 18 months to do a mid career transition. Like if there's a real shortage and you've got someone who's, you know, in a mid mid career, meaning they've got experience, work ethic, they've got a background, um, they understand business, and now they're wanting to get into security. I mean, that's a no brainer of a hire, right? Um, why aren't you doing it? Right. Yeah, that's what you know. I've said this probably too many times to count. It does. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I was talking to my neighbor, actually, we go walking and she is um, a mid-career professional and she is transitioning to become a therapist. And um, she works at one of the big tech companies. She's a technologist. And so I was, we, we talk a little bit about her transition, you know, what she's going through, what she's doing. So she has this a program and she has to go, she has to be in, um, in school and she has an internship and she has to be a student therapist first under a you know under the umbrella of a therapist. So we talked about. I said I said to I said to her I said I was going to talk about you on the show because you know we try to make it seem like it's oh so difficult to hire security talent new newbies you know like people who are breaking in. I said in every other industry this is what goes down. Like you go to school, it's a four-year program or whatever. She's, she already has a degree. I think she even has a master's. So it's a second degree, but you're going to school, you do the internship, you, you are a, um, like an apprentice. And I know Chris would love, he loves that word. He loves talking about apprenticeships because it works. You're an apprentice for a certain amount of time until you get your wings and your bearings. And then you can go off and be a therapist on your own after a certain period of time. 
it's not difficult. Like it, it happens in all types of professions. So, you know, this whole, oh, there's all these jobs and there's all these people and we can't fit them into these roles. It's just, I just don't believe it. I don't. So quick question or a comment here. Scott says, speaking of vaccines, I'd be curious to hear Nick's take on vaccine passports and whether his company is looking into participating in that effort. I mean, I think we're, we're obviously always looking at um, other uh, avenues for opportunities. and other we're working with a few um, uh, conference organizers on leveraging that as well. Um, so there's there are definitely opportunities to do that. The biggest challenge we have as a country is that general federation of information um, and the fact that every state's got their own database or every um, you know place that the vaccine's been issued has their own record or whatever it is. Um, so obviously there's a lot of logistical challenges with this stuff, uh, making sure that we can handle it properly. I think that's where you know, from the IDME perspective in terms of how we do document verification and, and the fact that we oftentimes have a human that someone actually works with, um, that we we definitely have kind of a unique um, capability to provide uh, some of those verifications and vaccine identification is obviously one of those things. Obviously the, the preference is to be able to connect to some databases and, and do those validations and have a central repository. Um, but that's, it's definitely one of those areas that uh, the fragmentation in the in the space that you want to try to find some <laughs> common consistent way. Like I just went and got my booster shot last night, so my arm is killing me. Um, but they like hand wrote my lot number on the existing COVID card. I'm like, how is this official? You know, documentation like this is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, the more we get, uh, find better ways of maintaining these registries and communicating and like the international stuff too. Um, like how reliable is it really to have these pieces of paper? Not really, they're forged all over the place. Um, so it's a challenge, but it's definitely an area that we're working on. Wow, I thought that, that that's so interesting. I thought that there was some massive database that had all of our information in it and that's crazy. <laughs> New York has, has like theirs and California has theirs um, and they maintain them in different ways and what have you, there's some states that don't at all. Um, you know, so it's really, it's a hodgepodge, just like with identity in general, different states have different driver's license pictures and different approaches to validating identity and things like that, where it's, you know, so it, it's, uh, we're, we're blessed and we're cursed with the federal system in a lot of ways, um, you know, as citizens. And so it's really trying to figure out, like, how do you start bringing that patchwork together? Wow. I, I, I think there's um, a huge mess. I, I read this morning that um, in Germany, someone accessed their vaccine database um, and downloaded 400,000 vaccine cards. Uh, the better one is the QR code out of the Italian government that actually shared the private key that lets you generate your own COVID uh, barcode that came out yesterday. <laughs> just super amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, I, I just want to point something out, maybe, I don't know. Crazy idea here. Hey, government, stop trying to do shit. <laughs> private business and let private business do something and stop trying to do shit because you guys are horrible. Crazy. Like horrible. Just stop. Like Scott said, Renee's thinking of the IRS database. Like, yeah, they can always find you some way, somehow when it comes to the IRS. Wow. Um that's crazy. So anyone getting the vaccine on a military base or from the VA doesn't end up in the state database. That's because you're on the federal DOD database. But let me remind you of something here, Dusty. Uh, 
OPM. OPM is who's managing all of this. Hmm. It's not the VA and it's 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 not DOD, it's OPM, it's the Office of Personnel Management, which was uh, breached by China in uh, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, 2014. Yeah. 2013, 2014. Yeah. So uh, the, the, I think I think like you know. We can sit there and say, oh, man, nothing – information, no matter where it sits, is never 100% secure, right? Like no one's ever going to have like a uh, uh, a perfect solution to protecting or defending or keeping data confidential. The best you can hope for is to put in enough controls and uh, handle data in such a way to where you make it extremely difficult for an adversary to get their hands on it. Um, and vaccine data, for all it is, is, is really not that valuable. Like what are you going to do with the vaccine data, right? Like – that's the other part is I think some of some of the stuff that we read about it is predominantly just anti-vaccine kind of like uh, activism uh, and hacktivism rather than really anything that's that's business related. Unless you're stealing the database and then you're pretending to be Pfizer and billing the government for those people again <laughs> to get paid, you know, the seventy two dollars a shot. Um and then if that's the if that's a business email compromise type of deal, and well, um, you know. But if they, if I guess if you are trying to evade the, if you're if if your company mandates vaccine or whatever it is that you're trying to do, and you didn't get it, and then you, um, and then you're and you're able to forge it or whatever, then how is that? how can we confirm that people have actually gotten it? Like, this is crazy to me that there's not one big database. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, uh, we're in a situation where it's kind of, you, you deal with the cards that you were dealt and trying to trying to validate the stuff. It becomes best effort, right? I think to James's point, nothing's, nothing's perfect. You're trying to manage risk. Um, the vast majority of people who are going to present a document, whether it's a birth certificate or whether it's a social security card, or whether it's a vaccination card, are going to present something that's legitimate. You're always right. going to people that are going to decide that uh, legitimate documents aren't for them. Um, and, you know, and how you manage that risk becomes, becomes key. So I think any of these like vaccine mandates and return to work and stuff like that, like it doesn't stand on its own. There's then all kinds of other protocols that have to exist uh, with mm -hmm. contact tracing and testing and things along those lines to, to mitigate the risk of the bad actor that decides, Hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to flaunt the, or flaunt this rule. Um, and that being said, even if you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID. So, it's, you know, there's still, it's not a hundred percent. But I think the statement for the most part is that if you've been vaccinated, the odds of it killing you are almost zero um, or very, very low, call it that way, um, to be less divisive. And, um, and what, at the end, at that point, you're protecting your, you know, you're working on protecting your employees from, from dying because they came to the office um, rather than making sure that they can't catch COVID in the first place. Uh, someone chooses to not get the vaccine and lie about it. The vast majority of the impact is probably going to be on that individual if they end up catching it. That mm -hmm. kind of becomes a, their risk choice to a certain extent. But I, I can understand why organizations want to have the, the mandate in place because the last thing we need is a whole bunch of people suing companies. Of course. Because they got sick at work and dying. Liability. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, well, it's, 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 a, it's a double-edged sword, Right. So it's sue me if you do and sue me if you don't. Sure. You do a vaccine mandate, you're going to get sued because the company has no right to tell you what to do with your body, right? right? Um, 
But if they don't do this and they let someone with COVID come in and someone gets infected and dies of COVID, then the company could be looking at liability. Right. So it's it's a, it's a, it's a delicate uh, area to be in um, for sure. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, I think a lot of this and, and we have, this is what we do as an industry is risk management, right? So how do we find ways of managing risk? Um, and this is a very real sense, um, you know, and uh, and try to do it in ways that uh, where we can use as much data as we can possibly have or as many controls we can put in place that, that makes sense and, and go from there. Um, I think to James's point, like you can get sued in any number of ways for doing any number of things and nothing's ever perfect. Um, and so that just becomes that risk tolerance at that point for, for how you get things done. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, no matter, no matter what, what people look at, I mean, from a security perspective, people tend to say, you know, vaccine passports. I think my biggest concern is the international sharing of personal health information. Um, so your local or your local state or county government having your health information, well, you know, they have every baby who's born, you get, you have to get vaccinated, right? Like babies have to get vaccinated. Uh, that has to go to the county. If you don't do it, then the county and the schools need to have a conversation with you about that, right? You know, if your kid doesn't get vaccinated for, for measles or if you don't get take the DDAP, you know, like. Every time I go to the pediatrician since my baby's born, they're like, eh, Mr. Azar, have you taken your DTAP shot yet? And I'm like, all right. I mean, I, <laughs> fine, I'll go get it, right? Um, but that, that kind of information has always been, right? To me, the, 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 the outrage over, you know, vaccine passports to me isn't as big of a deal local. It, it's a bigger deal for me internationally. Like, I don't want, I don't want, I don't consent to anyone sharing my health information with the government that I have no rights or no relations with. Right. And I think that's, that's the pitfall of vaccines, but everything has become so political and so hyper, hyper divisive that you can't have a convert. Like we're having an actual real intelligent conversation about this thing. It's damn. If you do, damn, if you don't, when was the last time you heard that on a Joe Rogan podcast, (laughs) the only guy that says it for what it is. Right. Yeah. But, but, but it's, it's damn, if you do, damn, if you don't, um, but but that's how security is, right? If you if you know everyone says do multi-factor authentication, so you do that, and then we realize well, multi-factor authentication really isn't that safe. Um, if you have an Android, well, hell, I can have you download an Android app, and when you get an SMS, I can, you know, intercept that and get access to your banking information. Well, damn if you don't, you're not doing the right MFA, right? So in in, in every aspect of stuff, there's a Two, two, two piece to that, damn if you do, damn if you don't. Right. We really want to got to look at this even killed. So Scott wants to know, any favorite books regarding the cybersecurity industry? Oh, man. Local or current affairs, maybe. I'm trying to I'm trying to think. I mean, the one I was reading most recently was, the, you know, as I started reading how to measure anything in cybersecurity, and then I ended up broadening the aperture on just how to measure anything. Um, so that was... Uh, for me, that was one of those where it's like, you know, we talk about um, uh, there are all these stories and, and hard skills and things of that nature that, that people need to, to get. But so much of what we do from a security perspective is about storytelling. It's about how do I find a way to communicate what I what we're doing, why we're doing it, why it's important, whether you're doing engineering work or whether you're doing you know governance or risk work or whether you know, you're doing AppSec or whatever. 
Um, it's about being able to communicate the, that information. So uh, I, I enjoyed that. I thought it was really, it was dense uh, without a doubt. <laughs> uh, and I'm not a mathematician. Um, so you kind of pick the things out of there that are going to be, that are going to be valuable and useful. Um, but I think that that becomes really key, uh, because we get away from, um, you know, we've seen this with like DevOps and everything else where you're getting away from artisanal, you're getting away from pets and moving towards, uh, cattle. Right. Um, and being able to tell the story in a not like, and this is the super special thing that I built, but more the, like why I built it and the impact it has. Uh, becomes a lot more interesting to everyone outside of you. <laughs> um, and so uh, I think that was that was one that I, I thought was was interesting. Um, I mean, I started my career reading all the hacking exposed books. Um, so that was but that was like 22 years ago. Um, so yeah, there are obviously a lot of like hard skills type of books that, that work as well. My favorite is my own book. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the right answer to that question. I'm sorry. I totally messed that one up. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Develop your cybersecurity career path. How to That's break right. into cybersecurity at any level by Gary Hayslip, Chris Folon, and yours truly. <laughs> it is a wonderful, amazing book. It's an amazing book. Make sure you give us five stars on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, I have fun. <laughs> we have fun on this podcast. Oh my goodness. So um, we are going to wrap up. Scott, you read my book. I hope you gave five stars. This one or magnetic hiring. It's so funny. I wrote magnetic hiring for recruiters like my peers and HR people. And HR people didn't care. I'm not surprised. Um, and all the cyber people bought it and loved it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Any other comments right before we rock out of here? Um, Scott is saying, that's how I found, that's how you found this. Oh, cool. Excellent. It's all working. The book leads you to the podcast. Um, Scott says also Mike Richter was a God. So awesome. Um What'd you say, Nick? Uh, I said not wrong. <laughs> cool. All right. So I know we have the wrap. So any final thoughts before before you leave, James? Big Daddy James? No, we are all set. Thank you so much, Renee. It's great to be back. By next week, I'll get the groove back and we'll be we'll be good to go. I'm still trying to find my uh, uh my, my groove with the new routine. <laughs> yes. It will take some time. Baby, baby is not even one month old. No, he's two um, weeks yesterday. So, aw. Nick, any final thoughts for people? Any pieces of I, advice? No, I mean, I think, I think the 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 whole thing is uh, in my mind for everyone is just kind of like self awareness, um, you know, and being able to uh, find the right path for yourself. There is one. There's so much stuff to do in uh, in this domain. It's not just one thing, and it's not just technical, and it's not just policy writing or anything like that. There's all kinds of stuff. And um, it's a key. The key is just keeping your head on a swivel and being aware of opportunities and what might make you happy. And don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. Keep your head on a swivel. I've heard that comment a few times recently. I hadn't heard it for a long time. And then I heard it recently and I was like, oh my God, that's a good one. Keep your head on a swivel. Totally. 
folks, thank you so much for being an awesome audience. Thank you for being here, Chris, um, James, Nick, Chris, that left earlier. We will see everybody next week, same time, same place, 1 p.m. Eastern. See you soon, please. What's up, see everyone? everyone. Free Hong Kong. Everybody. Thank you. Bye. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.